0: So, within our last study of um, Jude verses 24 and 25 on last week, we began our examination of Jude's conclusion to this brief yet significant epistle. Jude concludes his epistle, as we've mentioned, with a doxology. And I told you last week that Webster defined a doxology as not only a hymn of praise to the Almighty, but also as a particular form of giving glory to God. And Jude's doxology includes the final two verses of the epistle which we just read. Again, let's read them together. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Now, within our previous study, we defined some of the key words in verse 24. The word keep is that of guard or watch or observe. The word falling is without stumbling, because it's to prevent you from falling, without prevent you from falling or to keep you from stumbling. Uh, To present is to stand there, to cause to stand. And faultless is blameless or without blemish. So Jude stated, basically to summarize, that God is able to guard and watch you, so to prevent you from stumbling, and to make you stand blameless and without blemish in His glory with great joy. That is what Jude is saying here. We consider three truths which are either stated or inferred within verse 24, for which we, with Jude, give God praise. First, our God is able to keep us. And we saw this as it's explained in Romans 16, 25 through 27, and Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Paul also wrote to the Ephesians concerning the certainty of this power of God, which is working in those who believe, Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. Second, We considered that our God is not only able to keep us, but He's willing to keep us. Not only God, not only is it that God can or is able to do this work, but He is willing to do so. And we saw this in Ephesians 1 3 through 9 and Colossians 1 19 through 22. And then third, our God is not only able to keep us, he's not only willing to keep us, but our God is committed to keep us. And while it is one thing to say God is able, another to say He is willing, it is altogether a greater truth to know that God is committed to keeping us from falling and He is committed to stand us in the presence of His glory. In 1 Thessalonians five eighteen through 25 we see this and also Philippians 1, 6. So it is God alone who is able who is willing and who is committed to watch over us and keep us from stumbling while causing us to stand without blemish, without blame in the very presence of His glory. And so tonight, as we continue specifically looking at verse 25, we will conclude our study of Jude's epistle. And as I mentioned, Jude concludes with the doxology or a declaration of praise and glory to God. Jude's doxology fits well into the thesis of his letter. You may, may stop and, and, and question if you really have worked through this entire time through this epistle with us. Then you may stop and say, well, if Jude's thesis statement is that we are to earnestly contend for the faith because in verse 4 we're told there are those who would pervert the grace of God. There are those who would pervert the faith. There are those who would twist and, and, and shape and form it into that which is fitting to them and therefore defile many along the way by doing so, convincing and persuading others that this is right and that that what's being taught from Scripture is wrong. And so, or there's a misunderstanding of it and that, you know, again, God's given us this grace that we might just continue in sin. And yet Paul, of course, speaks against that throughout Scripture. We find that to be totally argued against and, and taught that this is incorrect. But yet there are those who would pervert the faith. So When we read that, verses 3 and 4, let's read them together. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, When you read those verses and understand that to be the thesis statement, earnestly contend for the faith because there are those who pervert the grace of God, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, then you might question how does a doxology, the end of the epistle, fit into that thesis? Well, we must remember it was the Lord who had established his church in the faith. Jude says it, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Who delivered this to the saints? God the Father did, did he not? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through the apostles' teaching and doctrine. And so it is God who delivered this, uh, or established his, his church in the faith, delivered the faith unto us, and he has made us his stewards as his church. He's made us his stewards of his truth. So it is absolutely fitting for Jude then, notice, to attribute. Praise and glory to the God who had delivered his truth to his church and made his church stewards over his truth. Remember, Paul speaks of the church as well throughout uh, the scriptures. The apostles speak of the church. The writers of the epistles speak of the church as being the, the, the stewards of the gospel and the pillars of truth, if you will. Meaning, of course, that God has given us this truth and we are now stewards of his truth. In other words, the faith to which we are given stewardship, we must remember, is not greater than the one who made us stewards of this faith. So if the faith is to demand our attention, as Jude makes so clear in this epistle, and our commitment is to be to this faith, how much more so is he who gave us this faith worthy of our submission and our absolute commitment? So it's no wonder that Jude concludes the epistle with this doxology. Why would he not? And for this reason, he does so in verse 25. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Jude previously referred to the exclusivity of the faith by using the definite article the. Once again, Jude uses the article the in his doxology. To the wise God our Savior. The adjective only is italicized in our translation because it was added by the translators for the purpose of clarification. The apostle broke out as well, the apostle Paul that is, broke out in a doxology within the first chapter of his first epistle to Timothy. In First 1 Timothy 1, seven, notice what Paul writes, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul also refers to the exclusivity of God here in his doxology in 1 Timothy. The King Eternal, the only wise God. So it's also noteworthy that Paul's doxology in Timothy is surrounded by a charge for Timothy to remain faithful in the battle. I'm showing you the connection here of the doxology with the thesis of the epistle. Because here in 1 Timothy, Paul also breaks out a doxology, as did Jude in the conclusion of his epistle, in which he's dealt about remaining faithful in the faith and contending for the faith because there are men who would obviously pervert the faith and the grace of God. But yet in Paul's doxology in 1 Timothy, we find where he says, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honoring glory forever and ever. Amen. But yet in the next verse, 1 Timothy 1, 18, 19, and 20, this is what Paul says. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have putting away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So here Paul is with this doxology in 1 Timothy 1.17, and then verses 18, 19, and 20, he is saying, fight a good fight, Timothy, remain in the battle, holding faith. Because there are those who blaspheme. There are those who would speak against the faith. And it was in the face of the opposition to the faith that both Jude and Paul give praise to the only God and Savior. As I previously mentioned in our study of verse 24, Jude's doxology is akin to Paul's closing doxology in Romans. In Romans sixteen twenty-seven, Paul writes, "...to God only wise." Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Are you seeing a common thread here? The only wise God, God only wise, the King eternal, the only potentate, the only one who deserves praise, glory, and honor. So in Paul's doxology, both Romans 16 and 1 Timothy, and Jude's doxology in verse 25 of his epistle, we discover the same declaration, Romans 16, 27, God only wise, 1 Timothy 1, 17, the only wise God, and Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior. What we must recognize, this faith that has been passed down to us, this faith that has been delivered unto us by God himself, we are to commit ourselves to this faith, give attention to this faith, but we also are therefore to acknowledge He who gave us and delivered this to us to be greater than that which has been delivered. He is God. He is greater. So He, he demands our praise and our worship. And let us be mindful too. He's the only wise God. We see this theme consistently stated in these doxologies, and there is no wisdom that exists apart from God, and therefore no wisdom can surpass the wisdom of God. Now, I just made a statement that may sound contradictive, but it's actually not, as we'll see even in Scripture. Because when I say there's no wisdom apart from God, truly there is no genuine true wisdom apart from God. But yet there is what men call wisdom, but that wisdom could in no way surpass the only wise God whenever only wisdom can come from Him. In his epistle to the church at Corinth, Paul addresses this matter by referring to the foolishness of God as being superior to the wisdom of men. Now, there is no foolishness of God, and we're going to see that, but yet he's using this terminology to help us to understand the significance of the truth that is being stated. 1 Corinthians one eighteen through 18-31, a quite lengthy passage. You may want to turn there. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Now, Paul didn't say the preaching of the cross is foolishness. He said to those who perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. One cannot logically, rationally come to a spiritual understanding concerning the cross of Christ. It is foolishness to those who perish. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, by the way, this is quoted from Isaiah 29, 14, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now again, it's not that preaching is foolish. He's not saying that. He's saying they consider it foolish the cross to be foolish, salvation to be foolish, the preaching of the gospel to be foolish. But he says it is by that which they consider to be foolish that God is saving those who do believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. See, again, it's not that this is foolish, but to them who are in unbelief it is foolish. But verse 24 goes on to say, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So what is the wisdom of God? It is Christ. Christ is the personification of the wisdom of God. Because, verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Is there any foolishness with God? Of course not. But that which men would consider to be foolish about God is wiser than even that which men declare and self-profess to be wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Well, wait a minute, is God weak? Is there any weakness with him? Of course not. He's saying that which they consider weak is stronger than that which they consider to be strong or strength within themselves. For you see your calling brethren, and then Paul gives us this wonderful example of this, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Verse 29 gives us a reason for all of this. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But then verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Now notice what Paul says here. Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that again sandwiched between uh, these two statements is that verse 30 that according as it is written he that glorieth let him glory in the lord verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence so our glory is in the lord the irony in paul's contrast is that there is no foolishness with God, and there is no wisdom of men. There is no strength of men, and there is no weakness of God. Yet Paul speaks of the cross as that which the world views as foolish and weak, and yet it is in this great wisdom of God that he proves all men to be foolish and weak by the power of the gospel. For it is in the work of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ that the power of God's Redemption is revealed through the wisdom of his eternal redemptive purpose. So when Jude says to the only wise God, when Paul says the only wise God, all wisdom comes from God. And what men call wisdom is foolishness. And what men call foolishness of God is actually wisdom and strength. How is it that any of us will ever have the ability to stand before a holy god and be accepted by him how can that be will anyone rationalize and reason and intellectually persuade god that they should be accepted into heaven with him Will anyone be strong enough in their stand before God to make such a claim and therefore be accepted by him? No. It is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's provision of Jesus Christ, that we are been, we've been made accepted in the blood. Christ has made wisdom unto me. Christ has made redemption. And Christ is our strength. So we stand in him. Jude continues. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power. Our commitment, our praise, our worship, our submission is to be the, to the only God and Savior. Jude's declaration in no way adds to the glory, to the majesty, to the kingdom and power of God or our Lord Jesus Christ. However, Jude's statement is a humble recognition of the truth of God's rightful reign. You know, when we say praise to God, when we, we say glory to God, when we say Uh, blessing and honor majesty and 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 glory be to god we're not adding anything to god that is not us giving him something he does not already have it is us humbly acknowledging this belongs to him and not to us Jude's declaration is not adding to who God is. It is simply acknowledging the truth of who God is and humbly recognizing that He deserves the glory, the honor, and the praise. Jude praises four aspects concerning the only God and Savior in this doxology. First of all, he says glory. Glory belongs to the Lord. And this glory in part refers to praise. Majesty. Majesty refers to greatness dominion refers to power and might and power refers to authority so jude is saying to the only god who is our savior be all praise greatness might and authority once again this is not to say that jude is giving god anything that god does not already possess that god does not already have that god does not already deserve But rather, it is that Jude is acknowledging and declaring that his desire is that God receive that which alone is due to him. Listen, there's nothing we will ever say that will give God anything that does not already belong to him. There's nothing we will ever sing that will add to the praise of God or the glory that is already his. Might we be aware that God has given us the privilege to acknowledge the truth of who He is by opening our blinded eyes and giving us spiritual life through the Lord Jesus Christ to have a Heavenly Father, to which now we are to humbly acknowledge and recognize He is the only wise God and our Savior. He is the only King. He is the potentate. He is the authority. He is the sovereign. He is the ruler of all. He is the Lord of all. He is King of kings. There is none other than Him. And so we are to acknowledge the truth of who He is. Listen, people make statements like this, and you've heard this many times, and I've spoken on this several times. People say things like this, make Jesus Lord and Savior. You don't make Jesus Lord and Savior, you don't make Jesus anything. If you come to faith in Christ, it's only that you, by the grace of God, receive by the by the Lord opening your understanding spiritually and your blinded eyes giving you spiritual life that you acknowledge and receive the truth of who Christ is I think to better exemplify this truth I would say it like this you don't make Jesus Lord or Savior any more so than you make him creator he is creator he is Lord he is Savior the question is do you acknowledge have you received Christ acknowledging who he is. Paul stated in his epistle to the Romans, and this is actually the verse here that we uh, attribute and cling to, if you will, and acknowledge as, our, as our, our church, the verse which to which we associate, identify with, if you will, if you can say there is one, and that's Romans eleven thirty six, in which Paul says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen, Jude concludes both now and ever, Amen to the only wise God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen. The only God alone deserves such adoration and praise of men. Paul stated in his epistle to Timothy in first Timothy six, thirteen through sixteen I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. What a statement. Paul Timothy, or Paul is telling Timothy here, there is no man who can approach God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the only potentate. He is the blessed one. He is the one who dwells in light, and no man can come unto him, who no man hath seen nor can see. To this God be glory, honor, and power everlasting. Wait a minute. He already has glory, honor, and power everlasting. Again, Paul is not attributing something to him that does not already belong to him. He is simply acknowledging that which does belong to him because of who he is. If we are called, as Jude declared in verse 3, to earnestly contend for the faith, is it not fitting that Jude concludes such a charge and such a call by reminding us of the one who has called us to contend for this faith? The one who has given us this faith for which we contend. The one who is worthy of our absolute submission, commitment, and attention. With Jude, I concede and confess Verse 24 and verse 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. He is wise. He is God. He is Savior. He deserves the glory, he deserves the majesty, he deserves dominion and power now and always. He deserves the praise, he deserves the greatness, he deserves the power and might, and he deserves the authority. It's his. So may we as Jude acknowledge that Earnestly contend for the faith. Why? Because there are those who pervert it. But remember, it is the only wise God who once has delivered this to us. And he is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our glory glory given unto him. He's worthy of our praise unto him. He is worthy of our submission unto him. He is worthy. So it's very fitting that Jude would conclude this epistle, earnestly contend for the faith, agonize in the faith, if you will, recognizing who it is who's made us stewards of this faith. And all that that men would fight and bring as opposition to the faith, while they think they stand in such great wisdom, they are fools when it opposes the only wise God, our Savior. Let's bow and pray. Father, we do thank you.